activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising and just plain chilling out somewhere, we talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict. Hope you're all well. It's the beginning of the week. And this morning, I have Gary Arn from the great state of Wisconsin. I think there's a proper way to pronounce that. That's probably not it. Now, Gary is a traveler, right? He's an award-winning travel blogger and photographer who's been traveling around the world since, I think, 2007, which is right before the sort of uh, years of the recession, which is a story in itself. Now, I believe he's been to 130 countries. I'm not going to tell you too much and give it all away. We'll get him online here. So without more to do, hello, Gary. Are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Right. Uh, my pleasure. When you contacted me, I was a bit intrigued you know, about your, your travel escapades, so to speak. Now, I'm a bit of a travel addict myself, but probably in a different capacity than yours. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But we're going to find out about it because you've been to a lot of places, an extraordinary amount, actually. And it does beg the question, is travel your full-time occupation? It was. <laughs> up until the pandemic hit and anywhere in over a year. Uh, and I, I literally mean that other than moving, uh, which I kind of had to because I lived in Minneapolis off Lake street and my neighborhood literally burned down last oh, summer. Wow. And uh, one day in August, I just went and got a U-Haul, put all my stuff in it, notified my apartment manager, I'm gone. And that was that. Um, that's the only move. That's the only travel I've really done. I, I haven't even taken my camera out of my camera bag in over a year. Um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. But up until know. that point, I would say, yeah, I, so what happened is I, I catch the idea of traveling around the world. I had a business that I started in the nineties. It was pretty successful. I sold it, um, started some other companies. I went back to school for a few years just for the heck of it. And I didn't know what to do. And so I hatched this idea of traveling around the world. I didn't have any kids, no wife. I was in my 30s, so I figure, why not? So 2005, I came up with this idea. It took me a while to tie up loose ends, sell the house. March 2007, I turned over the keys, and I told everyone I'd be gone for about a year. In reality, I thought it'd be two years, um, and it just kind of never stopped. I just sort of kept doing it. I started a website when I began traveling, and it became popular, and uh, it allowed me to basically continue traveling indefinitely. Right. And that's what happened up until the pandemic. So 2020 must have been a bad time. <laughs> it was for me, but you know, when, when we travel, we just like doing it all the time. And the more we do it, the more we want to do it. And then of course, 2020 came along and it was just, oh no, you're probably younger than me, Gary, but the older I get, the more I want to travel. When there's a year just been taken away from that, it's just a bit disappointing, so to speak. So I'm, I'm trying to get back into it. Um, have you got plans for this year to get out of town? No. Um, when this first happened, I thought this was going to be over relatively quickly. So if you remember back to March of 2020, this was still basically in a story that was happening in China. 
and some other places. Yeah. And so I had a friend in China and they were having problems and we thought, okay, maybe we could arrange something to, to promote Chinese tourism, work on a project. And I was thinking in March, okay, maybe we could do this in late April. Let's plan it for May just to be safe. That clearly didn't happen. That's exactly. And, and then I was thinking, well, maybe next fall, you know, fall, September, October, we could do something in the U.S. We could do some national parks in the Southwest. That clearly didn't happen. So at this point, I'm not planning anything. Oh, really? Though things are looking good right now in the U.S. in terms of vaccines and cases yeah. dropping. The rest of the world isn't. So you can't go to Canada right now. No. Brazil and India are the worst it's ever been. Oh, yeah. Ooh. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So at this point, uh, yeah, I'm not really planning anything. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, I've got something planned, but it, it obviously depends uh, what goes on with the restriction of other countries. There's a, there's a neat map on Delta Delta's website, which lists all the restrictions you pointed on the map, and it tells you it's actually pretty good. However, more to the point, uh, Gary, you've been to, um, you listed 130 countries. Is that correct? It depends how you define country, but yes. Okay. Well, yeah, you can include, I suppose you can include autonomous countries in that as well, uh, of course. Now, 130 that are in the United Nations. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Now, now it begs this question. I, I, I'm asking you this question, and it's blunt, because I, I met a couple on a cruise ship once. I asked them how, well, they, I didn't ask. They told me, said, yeah, we've been to, we've been on cruise ships, we've been to 124 countries. And I asked the question, well, how, how many did you stay longer than 24 hours? And it went silent. So based on that, you've been traveling, but you probably you could have been on a cruise ship. I don't know. But um, how long on average did you stay? Because there's a lot of lot of places to visit in the world. You could have been passing through. But obviously, I, I think to get a, a good idea of the culture in a country, you've got to stay a bit longer than 24 hours, at least I would think anyway. So are all yours were lengthy stays or just short or most of them were sort of there, there a few days? Of countries that I've been to for less than 24 hours, I could probably count those on my fingers. Um, I did one trip where I sailed from Cape Town to Morocco up the west coast of Africa. And we stopped in some countries such as Togo, Benin, Sao Tome, and Principe. Yeah. And we stayed on the ship. Yeah. So uh, like Ghana, we were actually there for a couple of days, but we just we stayed on the ship because that's where our accommodations were. Mm -hmm. Um. What type of ship was it, by the way? It was an expedition ship. It was repositioning from the Antarctic to the Arctic. Okay, cool. And so it was it was doing that. Uh, but as far as like country, but I would still say, I mean, we we went and did stuff. We saw stuff. Um, but for the vast majority, yeah, I've I've definitely you know stayed overnight. Yeah, that, that, that's good. Kind of. That, that that matters, of course. Now that's still a a lot of countries there, and you mentioned you've been to. 203, as you call it, TCC territories. So explain that when you say TCC, uh, when anyone might read your website, your profile, what sure. do you mean by TCC? So if I say I'm going to the United Kingdom, what does that mean I'm going to? If I say, well, I'm going to the Turks and Caicos, is that the United Kingdom? Well, not really. No. But in another way, kind of. And the same is true with Puerto Rico. Um, mm -hmm. French Guiana is a part of France in the same way that Hawaii is a part of the United States. They vote in national elections. They vote for president. They mm -hmm. are a part of France. Yeah. Uh, but if you say you're going to France, obviously you don't 
mean you're going to a south place in South America. No. So the Traveler Century Club kind of divides the world up into uh, things that are beyond just the nation state. Yeah. So there are, f- for example, you know, other some some very large countries like mm-hmm. Indonesia, for example. Uh, going to Java is not the same as going to Sulawesi, which is not the same as going to, uh, you know, there are several I- different island groups or going to Papua or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's c- what it kind of divides the world up into. Yeah. Uh, there's it, a lot of territories and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a gray area. Like Turks and Caicos is a territory of the United Kingdom, where Aruba is an autonomous country of the Netherlands. But like Tibet is an autonomous region of China. So that definitely is not a country. It's a region. So there's all these definitions that it means. Basically, in, in my estimation, it's, it's self-management, if you wish, self-governing to a degree. And there's different de- definitions of that. But these all count, obviously. Um, like Aruba is, based, is, is a country, and so is Turks. Caicos is exactly where I'm going next month, though, Gary. I'll be down there for a whole month of June. I was there. So what I do is I do a lot of, uh, I did a lot of speaking at conferences and things. And one of the things I would always do is they would fly me in and fly me out. Yeah. And I would always ask them to fly me out to some other place. Yeah. And I remember I was at one conference. They said, well, where do you want to go after? I was like, "Uh, Turks and Caicos, because I'd never been there. And so I just spent a week in the Turks and Caicos and basically got my flights covered. I did that once. I was in the Philippines in Manila giving a com- uh, presentation. Yeah. And on the flight out, they said, where do you want to go? I said, Fiji. And the reason I wanted to go to Fiji is because I had ne- the one country in the Pacific I'd never been to was Tuvalu. Mm-hmm. So and the only way to get there is from Fiji. So I went to Tuvalu, went back to Fiji, and then I went to American Samoa in Pongo Pongo. Yeah. And the reason I went there is because I was speaking at a, a conference in San Diego, and they said they would fly me anywhere domestically. Yeah. And it turns out American Samoa counts as a domestic flight. So I was able to then basically get from the Philippines back to the United States, back home, and visit a couple countries uh, you know, in the middle, in the middle of the Pacific uh, by doing it that way. Yeah. It's funny. These are all the things. That's, that's why it's educational. Obviously, the culture is one thing, but learning the ge- geography of all this it's all educational. Where do you pick up these speaking gigs from, by the way? Just people find you on the internet or do you sign up with an agency or how does that work? No, I'm, I'm pretty well known uh, in the travel sphere. Uh, you know, I have a pretty big following. I've, I've had, I'm one of the first and earliest uh, travel bloggers. Um, you know, I've won a lot of awards for travel photography. So people just kind of know about me that way. Yeah, I started to look at your your photograph work. It's uh, it's fantastic stuff, by the way. Uh, so you know, probably more about that. Now you've been to all of the continents. Um, I'm assuming, well, that must be Antarctica as well, right? You get down there. Yep, I actually did. I went to every continent in a nine month period. Uh, the the year I went to Antarctica, I actually ended up uh, visiting every continent within nine months. Yeah. Just again by happenstance. Yeah, all right. Did you get up close and personal with the penguins? Yeah, but penguins is actually not Antarctica. If you ever get an opportunity, uh, try to get to South Georgia Island. That oh, yeah. was where Shackleton, you know, rescued his men. And most of the ships that go to Antarctica will go to South Georgia at least once during the season. Yeah. And that is always the highlight of the season for the crew on the ships, if you ever ask them. Okay. Interesting. It really is a fantastic place simply because there's so much ice in Antarctica 
that there's very little place for the penguins to uh, to nest. Yeah. They have they usually do it on rocks, unless you're like an emperor penguin or something. Um, so it's the sub Antarctic islands that are a little bit away from Antarctica where you're going to find most of the penguins. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a funny place in England actually called Borton on the water. They have, it's in the, the Cotswolds area, the countryside of England, basically. And it's a small zoo, which seems bizarre actually in the Cotswolds of England, but they have penguins there. And I just wondered why they would have penguins in this place. And I asked that question in Borton on the Water, and no one gave me a straight answer. But it's, it's strange. I'm just saying. You've been to a lot of uh, the uh, UNESCO World Heritage Sites. And I yeah, like that's the, kind of been my thing. Yeah, uh, and it's a great thing to do, actually. And you came up with a picture of the Taj Mahal, and uh, obviously it's a quite a it's almost a spiritual place, actually, but it's, 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 it's a great place to be. And, you know, with what's going on in India right now, you think, oh, my God, how the, how the hell are the people getting uh, by there? So, but you've been to, and I know it's on your website, you've documented it by year of the, the uh, UNESCO World Heritage Sites uh, you've been to. There's a lot to see in the world. That's what comes to mind. And there's only so much time. It, it's great to see a handful of places. Out of all the places you've been to, uh, of these sites, what sort of sticks in your mind as, as God, this is something important or, or it's something special. What place comes to mind? Boy, there are a lot of them. Um, the great part about visiting UNESCO world heritage sites is that the vast majority of them, most people have no clue what they are. I mean, we know about the Taj Mahal and the pyramids and, and stuff like that. And there are some European city centers, but to get beyond that, you really have to start exploring many of these uh, countries and get away from uh, the major cities. Uh, oh, exactly. To use the UK, for example, I want to say that like 80% of the visitors to Britain go to London and they never go anywhere else. So what I've been doing in every the last few years I've been going to England is I'll go to like World Travel Market in November and then I'll always do a side trip to a different part of the country. So yeah. I went to, uh, like I did one trip to Cornwall and visited the, the mines that were there. And I visited a, a, an old tin mine, I think that closed yeah. in the 80s. And I know, uh, actually living in Wisconsin, in upper Michigan, which is really close by, there's a huge, a uh, lot of Cornish immigrants went there and they went there for the mining. And it never really associated the mining with the mines in Cornwall. And I actually got to see that myself. And yeah. of course in Michigan, you have Cornish pasties, which are one of their dishes and they, Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go there and you see, Oh, okay. That's, that's where it came from. And being able to make these connections to different places. So uh, the interesting thing is the more places you visit, it's not like you're visiting one, two, three places. You learn one, two, three things. You're also learning, okay, what's the association between one and two, two and three, three and one. And it really kind of almost increases exponentially. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do. And uh, I tell you that I, I guess the more you travel, the more you learn about stuff. And it's, it's a good thing, really. I'm not sure on your map. Did you get, get to Bhutan at all? Country Bhutan? I, I haven't been there. I, it's a, um, there are a couple parts of the world that I just haven't explored and South Asia is one of them. I've been to India, mm -hmm. haven't been to Nepal, Bhutan, Pakistan, uh, Burma or Bangladesh yet. Okay. Well, add it to your bucket list. <laughs> oh, it's on it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Bhutan is absolutely spectacular, especially if you take the trek to Tiger's Nest Monastery there and uh, Myanmar I had a bit of trouble lately, but 
I went there. I had two attempts to get in the place. They wouldn't let me in first time because of paperwork. Uh, but hey, I went back again. It's worth going to, uh, believe it or not. Well, all the world's worth going to to, to some degree. Is, is, uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, but there's a lot of places I want to go to. And so right now, because of my age, what I'm doing, I'm going to be more selective. I said, okay, I can only do so much, and there will come a day when we won't be able to travel, and so we have to be more selective where we choose to go to these days because um, we can't do everything, you know. Your time's going to run out. It'll be a day where, you know, can't get on a plane anymore, and uh, it's just a matter of time. You have a website called Everything Everywhere. Good title, by the way, and it's got a picture of you on the front. And your title is Follow Me as I Continue My 13-Year Around the World uh, a Trip. Your blog is on this, this website. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a subheading called Blog. Neat website. Um, do you update this every day, by the way? Uh, yes, but I, what I've been updating it with over the last nine months or 10 months uh, has been a new podcast that I launched last summer. Okay. Uh, because I haven't been traveling, I... I did that. Oh, well, that's a good thing. Anyway, everybody check out his website, everything-everywhere.com. And the section there called photos. So please take a look at that because these pictures are quite extraordinary. Do you class yourself as a, an expert in photography? I'm not. I, I take my iPhone around. Yes, I've upgraded to this guy. It's now an iPhone 12, so it's better than my iPhone 7. But you have good cameras and all that kit to go with it, do you? You take that away. Yeah, I, I've been named travel photographer of the year three times in North America. So I hope well, I. Yeah. <laughs> What's the magic tool you use? It's like a, it's not a Kodak Instamatic, but it's obviously what do you use for a camera? Uh, right now, I'm using a Sony A7R2. Um, like I said, I haven't done much in the way of photography lately. And um, you can't really buy a bad camera anymore. And it's really more about understanding how your camera works than the camera. You know, you can, I, I've, and I've seen it happen and I've done it. I've seen, I've taken very bad photos with very good cameras. When I started, I bought a very expensive camera thinking it would take good photos. And that's not how it worked. And I've been on trips with other people that have very expensive cameras and they're taking bad photos. And then I look at it and I say, give me your camera for a second. I adjust some of the settings and I go, here you go. And, uh, it, it just radically changes, you know, the pictures they're taking. Uh, so knowing how the camera works and, and camera photography is not rocket science. It's basically no. a, you know, a few principles. You just have to drill them into your head and know how to apply them in, in a given setting. That's really all it is. How long you've been doing this photography stuff? Is it just in recent history? The reason I asked that is because I spoke to uh, a gentleman about a week or so ago, Mitch Russo, and he's a business guy who is now into travel photography but in the older days he used to develop his own pictures he had all the chemicals and stuff to do it i, did, I don't know if that's necessary now but um i just why well, i asked you how long you've been into photography just you, you probably don't haven't done all that work you know the hard work in developing it you don't have a an office somewhere you have all you do developing the photographs yourself do you or, or how's that work because it's all digital right yeah, you know, I've never used film and I never will use film. No. I, I see no point to it. 
Those were the days, man. Did you go to the days you, you put a roll of film in your camera, take a picture and take it down, and they'd develop it in a week for you and half the pictures wouldn't turn out anyway. You still pay for it. Yeah, I know. Thank God those days are over and done with. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Now, you, you touched on this briefly earlier on, public speaking. Um, you get invited to different places to uh, on public speaking engagements to talk about destinations, travel, or, or what specifically? It's got to be obviously to do with travel. Uh, any number of things, but usually it's going to be about, I've, I've done things on world heritage travel, uh, new media and travel, social media, uh, blogging, things like that. I get th- Those are primarily what I get asked to do yeah. uh, just because that's what I'm best known for. Uh, have you been doing anything virtual these days? Like probably, I would think, right? Not really. No. Um, I've, what happened is when the pandemic started, I lost like 95% of my income. Everything just dried up. No one was searching for travel. No one is buying travel. No one is marketing travel. No. It was just, it just disappeared. And I know a lot of people have been doing virtual things, but I've really had no desire to do much of it. Um, I think there's been, you had a lot of people in the travel industry that had, they were spinning their wheels because they felt that they had to do something even though there was nothing they really could do, they just had to sit and wait. And uh, they felt that they should do something. So there were just tons of webinars and everything else. And rather than do that, which I felt was not achieving anything, I just focused on a new project. And uh, that's what I've been working on. Yeah. I know um, virtual conferencing has been around for quite some time, but it's it's not quite the same thing because I'd imagine when you go in front of people, uh, in front of a live audience, the interaction is important, you know, and you, you you get a feel for that. It's a bit more challenging when you're doing something virtually, I guess. It's like the cruise ship industry. Cruise ship industry has just been beaten up, and they're probably starting back up this year. But, you know, it's uh, interesting to see how that will go. And there'll be restrictions, of course, even in that uh, market. We'll, we'll have to see. But anyway, good luck. Hopefully that picks up and, uh, you know, are you banking on just 2022 is is going to be the year you're going to get back in action? I know it's only May now, but is uh, is that what you're thinking about? I don't know. So I launched a new podcast last year, and it's grown pretty rapidly. And one of the things I'm going to do, it's primarily a history podcast, actually, not a travel podcast. Yeah. But what I want to do is run tours uh, for my listeners, like really in-depth, geeky like we're going to do 10 days and we're not going to leave Rome. We're going to see all the stuff. No one sees. We're going to go to Nero's palace. We're going to go to uh, Hadrian's villa and go into the sewers and stuff like that. And I have a lot of people who are interested and want to do it. So it's just a matter of when, and I have, you know, there's just not going to be one day where it's like, okay, it's over. It's going to be, gradual. It's going to happen at different rates in different countries, depending on if you have vaccines or not, and maybe they'll require it. Maybe they, they won't. So at this point, I don't know. Uh, I don't think I'm not planning I, anything for the rest of this year. So maybe it is 2022, uh, but I don't know when, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll I, mean, see. Yeah. I mean, there could be another strain or a variant that appears and who knows? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we just don't know. Things are looking a bit better, though. Um, but I've looked at the uh, some of the places you mentioned you've been to, and some have intrigued me because I want to go to these places. 
One of them I was intended to go to, and I think you've been here. Correct me if I'm wrong, then. One of these places I'm going to bring up, I was aiming to go to in September this year. And of course, it's not going to happen. Country of Namibia. One of my favorite places in the world. Um, the Namib Desert is incredible. Yeah. And if you get the opportunity, one of the things I did is I went out into the desert for five days uh, with a group. Uh, it was a company led by these German guys. Namibia used to be a German colony, and there's still actually a small community of German speakers who live in Namibia. And uh, just being out in that desert is an incredible experience. And we camped one night on what's called the Longaval or the Wall of Death, and it's called it's a 300 foot high sand dune that's right up against the ocean. And so it's straight down. And the reason why it's called the Wall of Death is because if you get stuck at the bottom at high tide, you're you know, there's really nowhere to go. Uh, that was incredible. Um, they have, you know, sea lions and seal seals that are right up against, there's actually lions in Namibia that feed on seals. They've learned to do it. And I think that's the only place in the world you'll find it along the skeleton coast. You'll see tons of shipwrecks. And because the desert is constantly encroaching westward, some of those are like a hundred meters from the shore at this point. Yeah. So they're just covered in sand. Um, fascinating country, easy to get around safe. They speak English. Yeah. Uh, next time I go back, I've been there twice now, but my next trip, I want to go more to the North and go to Atosha national park. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the places up there where it's a bit more tropical, less desert. Yeah. I just want to had a, did, cause my, my plan was to go and fly into Windhoek then rent a car and just drive the four or five hours into the desert. Now, it's the world's oldest desert, but it's got the world's highest sand dune there as well. Is that Dune 45? I don't know what it is, but I thought, i got to do this. And But the landscape in there is quite almost haunting, but it's, it's spectacular. And camping, you mentioned that. That is what I wanted to do out there. There's lodges out there. So I spent. I was going to spend about four or five days there myself and just take it all in, just go out walking each day and just enjoy the spookiness of it all. So. There's there's really very little there. If you fly into Windhoek, uh, which is pretty much why you have to do, I think that's where most – I mean, I think you could, you could fly into Swakamund or slash Walvis Bay. They're right next to each other. Yeah. Uh, but between those two communities, there's basically nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much describes the whole country. Um, there's just not, there's nothing in between the things. Uh, you know, you'll have a community and then hours of driving um, before you'll find the next thing. Yeah, you know, that, that that was in the back of my mind because it's a long drive. You drive into the desert, it'd just be my luck that the car would break down. So that's, uh, that, that's my paranoia thinking here. Uh, one thing I did on my second trip, which was part of that uh, ship I took up the West Coast of Africa, is we did a cruise in Volvis Bay. Best oysters I ever had in my life. Really? Uh, yes. Hmm. Fantastic. Uh, never would have guessed it. But there, and it, it was great because this, this cruise we were on in the bay, no one wanted to have oysters except me and this other guy. So we just absolutely gorged on oysters and ate all of them. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's surprising, isn't it? It's just amazing what you come, come out across in these, these really uh, different places around the world. Now, of course, my, apart from Namibia, I was going to go eastward after that to uh, Zanzibar. The reason I have an interest in Zanzibar, because I do scuba diving, and I was going to go back in 2019, and I had to delay it for one reason. Then it was sort of out of diving season here. Now, Zanzibar looks a great place to go to. Now, did, did, did you spend time there or 
Oh, no, I've never been to Tanzania, so. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No. Okay. I've been to Zambia and Zimbabwe, but not Zanzibar. Oh, yeah. Well, so. you've, just, you've seen the fall, Victoria Falls then, right? Yeah. Um, I I know some people now in Zimbabwe, so I think when I go back, I'm going to probably go to the Manipools and maybe Great Zimbabwe and uh, do some other things. But I spent several days near the falls. Uh, we just kind of flew up and then flew back, mm. and that was kind of the experience. And at the time, to be quite frank, Zimbabwe was going through some things. So I didn't really want to necessarily go exploring the rest of the country, but now I'd probably feel a bit, you know, uh, more confident doing so. Yeah. I, I stayed in, um, the, the, the rural Livingston hotel there in Zambia and it's right next to the fort. So I stayed there and I walked over to the fort and walked across a bridge over to, uh, Zimbabwe there. I felt safe, but I know the trouble it had. I was going to ask you if you went there, whether you did the, the stupid act of bungee jumping off the bridge there down towards the Zambezi river. No, someone actually did that. It was on the news and the, the cord broke and they oh. survived. Um, I've been bungee jumping, but not not there. I did it in New Zealand. Okay, got it. I just wa- <laughs> I watched these. I just remember what there's a family there. The parents were watching their son jump off the edge there, and they were they looked nervous, and the kid just did it, and he goes down there. I thought, nah, nah. It's like jumping out of a plane to me. What I did consider because I was plan I'm planning to, and I do have plans to go to an area called Raja Ampat in Indonesia this year. Okay, so I'm going to go there for for diving. It's a national park. But on the way back, I thought about coming through um, other parts of Asia, going towards Europe. And I noticed, I think you mentioned you've been to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. Is that correct? Yes. Um, Highly recommend Central Asia. It's opened up. It's a lot easier to travel there than it was just a few years ago because they got rid of the onerous visa requirements. The only place that it's really difficult to get into now is Turkmenistan. Yeah. I think Kazakhstan and Tajikistan are probably the most beautiful countries just because it's up in the mountains. Okay. Um, Kazakhstan ha- is, is more, I don't know, developed. I feel it's kind of got more going on and Uzbekistan has a lot of cultural attractions like Samarkand that uh, you're probably not going to find in a lot of the other areas, but I think overall it's a, it's a great place. It's still not, well, you know, there's still not a lot of tourists that go there. Right. It's you're not going to have as easy of an experience there as you're going to have in, in other countries still not a lot of English is spoken. So you're probably going to need a guide or, you know, maybe someone with you. Uh, but up in like a uh, song which is way up in the mountains in, in Kyrgyzstan. Yep. It's a real high Lake. Uh, you can, you know, they have your experiences you can stay in and uh, just an absolutely beautiful cool. country. Yeah, I, that's what I like because there's not many tourists there. Eventually, uh, that will come. And uh, so there's a lot of places in the world that we come in. They're just huge tourist attractions, and it spoils a place over time, you know. And Venice could be accused of just attracting too many tourists. I, I don't know. But those two countries I mentioned there, and uh, I think you mentioned Tur- Turkmenistan is is cool. What the, is it Turkmenistan you mentioned yeah. as, as well? But you could do – all of those countries in, a, in about a week or so would just spend a couple of days in each. Of it. But there is, there is going to be a language barrier, like you say, right? Yes. Um, if you know Russian, I think you can probably get by. But other than that, it's there's not a lot of English spoken. No. Yeah. Google Translator. I've never used it. But yeah, I, I know. I'm lazy. Okay. We, as an English-speaking person like you, it's difficult for us to 
you know, decide to really learn a foreign language because much of the rest of the world learns English these days. So we're we're a bit lazy. Historically, we've always been lazy at learning, or, or me anyway. I, I People ask me how many languages I speak. I, well, I speak five, English, American, Canadian, Australian, and South African. And that doesn't count. And I said, no, but that's it. You know, well, I understand the dialects, <laughs> the accents, but it's all right. It, it's all right. Anyway, so that, that's interesting. I need to do a bit more research on that. I don't know uh, whether I'll, I'll get there. But anyway, you've got obviously things that you want to do. You mentioned Myanmar, uh, uh, Nepal. You haven't been to you haven't been to Kathmandu yet, have you? No. Uh, yeah. So South Asia, roughly Greenland. Yeah. There's a couple of places in South America that I've not been to yet. I haven't been to Peru. I've been to pretty much everywhere in the Caribbean except for the two biggest islands. I haven't been to Jamaica and Cuba, but I've been everywhere else. No, I haven't done um, that either. That's funny enough. In the, yeah. But if you ever get to Nepal, you go to uh, Kathmandu. It's the most chaotic place on the planet. It's, if you love diving, the one place I would definitely recommend, uh, it's the best diving. I've done about 120 dives, I think, is Palau. Palau, hands down, best diving I've experienced anywhere in the world. Same here, Gary. Yeah, I did go there a few years back and uh, dived um, Blue Corner there where all the sharks hang out. Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. The other, I had a top three to do, and this is the third one I'm doing this year. But um, Palau was definitely the best, and Sipadan, which is off the south coast of Borneo, there difficult to get to. So Raja, when I get there this year, is uh, do my top three, and uh, it's, it's quite protected there. You can't even put suntan lotion on your skin and go diving there; it's forbidden. Yeah. yeah, Palau is probably better than any other country in terms of uh, its protection of, of the reefs and the environment yeah. because, uh, you know, that's their economy, basically. Oh, oh absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's tourism. totally in sport. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Superb, superb uh, diving there. Now, you mentioned something on your website. You call it the global travel conspiracy. Um, explain that. I, I, that I was a that was a podcast that I used to do uh, for the CBS Podcast Network when they had it, and then they eventually shut it down. And I just wanted a clever name, uh, so I thought that would be you know kind of a clickbaity type name. It was just an interview <laughs> podcast, nothing special about it. It had nothing to do with nothing sinister. It's funny no. we, live, we live in these times of conspiracy theories and all that. So uh, I just wanted that. So it, it is it's harmless. Okay, well that's good. Um, now, you mentioned you've got a number of awards. This is mainly due to um, your blog and your photography. Is that right? That you've yeah. got these travel awards for. So the best way that people can look at this stuff is basically go on your website and, and it speaks for itself. You know, What comes to mind here is that there's a lot of spectacular places on the planet, a lot of wonderful places to see on the planet. What place did you go to? You obviously took a picture of that really just took your breath away. You thought, wow, this is extraordinary. You know, there are some places in northern Canada that I've been to that a lot of people aren't aware of that are fantastic. Uh, one that I talk about a lot is Nahani National Park. I think it, it might be the greatest national park in the world, and almost no one knows about it. Most Canadians don't know about it. It gets 800 visitors a year. Oh, wow. And it has one of the largest waterfalls in the world. Uh, it's higher than Niagara Falls. It has a water flow about the same as uh, Victoria Falls. Yeah. It has huge canyons, spectacular mountains. But the reason why no one knows about it is because there's no roads connecting it to the rest of the world. You have to there fly you in on a float plane. 
Uh, another great Canadian park is Torngott Mountains National Park, which is on the northernmost point of Labrador. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you think fjords, you normally think Norway. There are actually fjords in Canada, and they're up there in, in northern Labrador. And uh, I remember taking a helicopter trip up there, and we were able to, to see them. And we next day, we went on a boat. We went up to one of these inlets, and uh, the park is actually run by the local Inuit community. Mm, and for lunch, they basically gave us fishing poles, and they said, here's your lunch. <laughs> and uh, so we caught Arctic char, and it was the best fish I think I've ever had in my life. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, fresh Arctic char. Can't get any more fresh. And uh, just prepared on the beach. It was, it was a great experience and uh, just an absolutely beautiful place. Totally unspoiled land and uh, fresh water. Uh, did, uh, did you get to Mongolia at all? No. If you look at the map of the world, there's a big hole <laughs> between <laughs> Russia or I just haven't been to Mongolia. I tell you, I just, if you get to the, go out in the Mongolian wilderness, you can camp out there or, or stay in a jure. This is scenery is totally spectacular. And uh, you just feel like, you almost feel like you're on planet Mars. It's just, but that, this would be uh, exciting for you to do as well. Uh, so that's probably, that comes to mind with me about spectacular place on the, on the wall. Mother nature is wonderful. And uh, there's, there's so much to see out there. So many, so many beautiful things to see, but also I think is mixing with foreign cultures as well. Learning how people live in, whether it's a mountain village in the Himalayas or go to Tibet, just see how the people live there. It's, it's quite educational. So, uh, uh, excellent. This is really a, a ridiculous question. What's really been your favorite place you've been to? You know, I get that question a lot. And the stock answer I always give people is South Georgia because it, it's an amazing place. Few people go there. But your trip anywhere is always dependent upon so many things. It depends on the weather, the time of year, the people you meet. And I've been a lot of places where I had a great experience. And then I returned and the experience wasn't the same because you met different people, you did different things. And I think that our, you know, our travels are always colored by that, yeah. uh, the experience, the unique experiences we have, but there are so many great places, you know, all over. And a lot of people, the, they don't know about them. That's the, that's the worst thing. You know, I mentioned Nahani national park and I do a lot of interviews and I mentioned, I try to mention Nahani in every interview for one reason is that they get so few visitors that if, any my words ever impact anybody, I'm, they're going to see a spike in in, in visitors because yeah. it's so small. It's it's obvious, and there's never a spike in visitors. No one actually goes there. But whether like another good example is Venice. Everyone knows about Venice. It's in our you know the cultural imagination. We know about the gondolas and the bridges. Yeah, twenty minutes away from Venice is the city of Padua. You can yeah. get on a train. It takes 20 minutes. It's a fantastic city. They have the largest uh, city square in Europe. They have the oldest botanical garden in Europe, an amazing cathedral, the Scrivingi Chapel, all this stuff. Nobody goes there. Yeah, the, because no one knows they, about it. Yeah. They don't know about it because everyone knows about Venice and they want to take the pictures of themselves and the gondolas and the bridges to show their friends because their yeah. friends know about Venice. But to say Padua, they don't know what that is. Or they go to Florence and Florence, you know, I'm not saying Venice or Florence aren't great. They are great cities. Great city, yeah. But within Tuscany, you can go to Lucca, which has these incredible city walls. You yeah. can go to San Gimignano, which has these amazing towers and a great history behind it. 
And people just don't know about these places. And I've all over the world, I've been to places like that. And I, you know, I've been to those places because they're world heritage sites. Um, Yakushima Island in Japan. I remember going there. Amazing place. It's on the middle of this island. It's up in a cloud forest, all these cedars, no foreigners there. You know, it's something that if you're Japanese, you know about this place, but no one else does. And it, it took a little bit of effort to get there. You had to take an hour-long boat ride from, you know, the southernmost city uh, in the main islands. But, yeah, and I think so much of it is people just knowing more about it and getting away from places that have a cruise terminal or an international airport. Right. Yeah, that's exactly true. It's learning about these places and accepting the fact that some beautiful places in the world are challenging to get to. But there are ways to do it. And you, you've already proven that, obviously, it's, it's sometimes worth it. If it means just getting away from the usual places, if you want to be in the wilderness. Here's, a, here's a good example. If you if you do go to Namibia, yeah. you couldn't have done this just a few years ago, but you can do it now. You can go to St. Helena because they opened up the airport and the flight goes from Johannesburg. I think it goes to Swakamund and then to St. Helena. And really? this is, is the South African Airways or Air Namibia. Oh, I don't know who does it. It's oh, a small okay. airways, but there's, there's flights now, regular flights. Yeah. And uh, when I went to St. Helena, I had to take a five day boat trip from Cape town. I had to stay in the Island for 10 days and then take another five day boat trip back because that was it. Yeah. But now you can fly there and it's a fascinating little Island. Very hard to get to. Well, not as hard to get to anymore. But uh, uh, very interesting people, really interesting history. You have the Napoleonic history and a whole yep. bunch of endemic species that are found nowhere else. Um, but if you're going to Namibia, you can you can catch a flight from there. And it, it's something that you might want to look into doing, uh, you know, mm -hmm. to spend a day or two on St. Helena. Okay. Well, I've, I've just written, I, I've just made a note of that. All right. So I've got to get to Namibia since I'm not going this year. It probably will be next year. We'll just have to see. Now, it's hard to know this, uh, obviously, because of the travel restrictions and uh, with, with, with what's happening. I will say, because I'm down to ask you, well, what's up next? I don't think you know what's up next, do you? But let's say if you've got a place that's in the back of my mind when say, well, when I go away next time, where's it going to be? With this new podcast I'm doing that's taken up a lot of my time, but I can do that from anywhere. So I'm thinking as opposed to how I traveled in the past where I was really kind of traveling, mm -hmm. I may go somewhere just to stay for a month or several months. Great idea. Um, just take my microphone, take my laptop and go somewhere. Yeah. One idea I've had was retracing my initial trip. When I started back in 2007, I started in the, in the Pacific. Yeah. And I want to go back to Samoa, Tonga, yeah. Vanuatu, a lot of these countries that I, I visited back before I knew how to take photos, back before there was good internet, see how they've changed in, it'll be 15 years by the time I got there. Um, there so there's a lot of those kind of things that I'd like to do. And then there's places that I haven't been to, uh, you know, maybe finally getting to uh, Cuba and Jamaica. Uh, I've never been to Peru, which is another big tourist destination that I've just, no particular reason, but I just haven't been there. Yeah, uh, Bolivia, um, you know, Peru, Bolivia, Paraguay, Uruguay, I think is are a couple of countries in South America I haven't been to. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we'll see what 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 opportunities come up. There's a chance that I might be going to Colombia mm -hmm. uh, next year. Right. But and I've I've not been to Colombia either, which again, there's nothing it's not a hard country to get to. I just haven't. So 
I've been there four times. It seemed really scary, but I was working there in uh, in Bogota, and I went to Cartagena a couple of times. And my worry, go back to Colombia, was the days when kidnapping was not rife, but it was problematic. So getting a taxi from the airport was uh, it, but it was all right though. It, it was all right. Great people and uh, a great place to see. Culturally rich, and uh, had a fun time there, by the way. And uh, is is worth it. Well, hopefully you get to these places. It's in your blood, Gary, I know. It's in mine. And you're still going to do it as long as you can. And are you writing, apart from your blogs, do you, you got books, have you? Or do you write books? Or are you going to do one? Or you haven't got time to do one? I've done the equivalent of many books. I just haven't actually put them into book form. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. It's Okay, one of the, the, the to-do things and uh, – that that's fine you, even though funny enough we've been in lockdown all this time and you've started your podcast which is a great thing to do basically and this is exactly what i did uh, because i i couldn't do uh, I, I do the public speaking gig on cruise ships and um couldn't do that anymore well, that's changing in july because i'm out of here doing that but I, it's a great thing to do and i get to speak to people like you who've, who've traveled uh, a large amount and can tell me about these experiences. You've given me a more of incentive to try and get to Namibia, of course, and Kazakhstan and uh, those places. So I appreciate that. Is there anything you want to tell people out there? You've got your website, and if people want to sort of learn more about you, get in touch with you or just find out more about you, above and beyond your website, what, what would you suggest people do? Uh, check out my podcast. It's also called Everything Everywhere, Everything Everywhere Daily. It's a yep. daily show that comes out. I tell a lot of stories of people, places, and things uh, from my travels. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I wish you well in the future. You live in Appleton right now, and Appleton's a far cry from some of the places you've been to, actually. I don't know if you mix with the locals there. You tell you tell your neighbors, I guess what I'm off to now, when they probably think, what? You know. But anyway, I wish you well, Gary. I'll keep in touch with you in regards. I'm going to check your website out, and I may have to look at some of your podcasts as well uh, to see the format of that probably learn a bit more so it's good that you're traveling but it's good that you got knowledge about these places to be able to talk about it as well you learn a bit about history and geography which is all good because travel is a big learning experience as you know so so great anything else you want to say before we close out here uh yeah as soon as you can try to travel and uh thank you for having me on the show pleasure gary stay safe we'll be in touch all right man all right thanks excellent see ya bye-bye Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.